Yeah. That's what I'm Chip away. Chip away. What is it? That's Misha the sound Lugobi? of Matthew Modine eating. Oh, man. Ooh, we're going to put this on our ASMR. Yeah, the ASMR. <laughs> They're going to get those. I'm those eating tables, chips. Man. I'm eating corn chips with a little bit of salt. <laughs> I hope you use the first part of the interview. Oh, you, we are not getting rid of this. This is classic. <laughs> this is classic podcasting. Although, I've seen some scripts, I know the words weren't spelled right. There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important. Hey, you want to get on the train here, or you want to ruin another take, huh? It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. Man, I don't drop character till I've done the DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Welcome back to another episode of the In the Mouth of Dork Dish Chatcast. I'm your host, Brad Gullickson, the Mouth Dork, and joining me today is Lisa Gullickson, the Wife Dork. Hey, Lisa. Hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You 2020. Gotta, you got to space out that P. Happy New Year. <laughs> Have I been doing Happy New Year wrong my entire life? I think it's more festive. Oh, okay. With the gap. As promised last week, we are back to our weekly schedule, bringing you one conversation after another on a weekly basis. And this one we've been promising for a long time. Episode 49, Matthew Modine. I am so excited to start 2020 by celebrating one of my favorite weekends of 2019, Full Metal Modine Weekend at the Alamo Draft House, Winchester. This was such a rad event. And as you heard at the start of this episode already, Matthew Modine was in it to win it this weekend. We started strangers mysterious to each other and we ended the weekend slightly closer strangers. <laughs> but I feel super tight with him. We did spend... Almost that entire weekend with him. An obscene amount of time. It was full Metal Modine weekend. So what was it exactly? It was a nine film retrospective, uh, Friday through Sunday. The first day was Married to the Mob, Full Metal Jacket. What was the third film? Vision Quest. Vision Quest. Oh my God, Vision Quest. On the next day, we did Cutthroat Island. We did And the Band Played On. We closed out Saturday with Pacific Heights. Sunday was Memphis Bell, then Birdie, and then that secret special 35 millimeter screening of If Dog Rabbit, directed by Matthew Modine. Brad did that list off the dome. That is how solidified in his brain this weekend is. It is cherished. Yeah, I mean, he came to every screening, did Q&As for each one. You hosted the Cutthroat Island scre uh, screening. I did, and it was an honor. And I was really impressed how he was really willing to go there about the emotional turmoil during and after Cutthroat Island. And I think we won some people over with that film. You know, I, won me over with that yeah, film. Yeah, won totally me over. Badass Gina Davis swashbuckling hero film. It was a blast. And Matthew Modine, super dreamy in it. Yeah. Throw in some major Elways vibes. Yeah, he's got that floppy hair that you like. Rocketeer I'm, hair, Carrie Elway's hair. You have me so figured Anaste out. Anastasia? What? Anastasia? Anastasia. With Dimitri, <laughs> the hottest of the princes. I would totally watch the cartoon prince. film Anastasia. Anastasia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but 
so yeah, he went there with every screening. He would go out to the lobby, shake hands with everyone, sign so many eight by tens, so many posters, so many Funko Pop figures. It was really a delight. And to top it all off, he sat down with us to talk about his very storied career. And other stuff too. Yeah, the man likes a tangent. Right off the bat. He goes places. It's one of those interviews where, you know, we he, he had just gotten done talking to the Winchester star. So he felt like he had like put himself out there. And then Andy's like, oh, don't forget, you have two more podcasts to do. Up next, it mod. And it's like, oh, there's so much pressure. You only have 20 minutes to talk to Matthew Modine. We get done with this interview. We hit stop. And suddenly we have another really great conversation after this interview where he's reading from his Full Metal Jacket diary to us. That's like one of my most cherished memories of this entire event. And we didn't get it on audio. It it was so wild, and you guys, not invited. Not invited, not invited. But you are invited to this 20-minute chat. It is a lot of fun. After this conversation, we also sat down with the Alamo Drafthouse sweepstakes winners, Scott and Ida, to talk about what brought them all the way from Dallas, Texas, to Winchester, Virginia. And we have Sean Decker back on the show, at Sean Decker on Twitter. You may remember him from our Wolfman's Got Nards episode. As you might remember, he was diagnosed with HIV when he was just 11 years old, and he was there to add a little context to our And the Band Played on screening. Really, really powerful stuff. And a powerful screening. It really resonated with the people of Winchester and Matthew Modine. You know, he had to, like, collect himself after the screening before he could talk to us. We all did. Yeah, we all did. We all did. Uh, but we'll get to that in a moment. Let's jump into our conversation with Matthew Modine. After that, we'll go to Scott and Ida, and then we'll go to Sean, and then we'll close everything out. Oh, just a heads up for my mesophones out there who do not like the sound of eating. Matthew Modine does continue to crunch tortilla chips through the beginning of this episode. Yeah, that was not just some bonus content at the start of the ep. I'm, I, you're probably already triggered, but um, <laughs> I, you, if if Matthew Modine wants to feed his face, who are we to stop him? It's authentic, Lisa. So let's get into it. Let's get to this chip cast, <laughs> and we'll meet you back on the other side for Scott and Ida and Sean. Um... Nine film retrospective, uh, traveling back through your career, uh, you know, facing each audience with a QA. and a what, what, what has it been like for you to, you know, have a whole weekend that celebrates the, the creature that is Matthew Modine? Well, it's, it's been a tremendous honor. You know, I, I've, I've been to film festivals all over the world, but what I've never been is to a, a, a sort of retrospective. Uh, marathon of, of movies that I've worked on, so it's uh, it, it's an honor, you know. That it's and the audience is is so responsive and positive and uh, excited to to see the films on a, on a big screen, and it's one of the reasons why I love the Alamo Draft Houses across the country uh, because it's so. My my father was a drive-in theater manager, and we had a couple movie theaters. And the experience of going to see a movie in a, in a, in a theater with a, with a group of other people and have that, even though you're not uh, together, you're together. It's a collective experience. And uh, in this world that we live in, it becomes more and more isolated where 
you know, where I don't know where you're listening to this podcast right now. I'm maybe in your car driving someplace or um, getting ready to go to bed, and you're hoping that I can put you to sleep. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we live in more and more isolated uh, communities, you know, within our society. So I, I think that the the theater is so important to have the opportunity to come and watch a movie and, and with a group of people, you know, in the dark. We were talking about it uh, just today, how so much of film conversation is happening online, and you, it's like when you're at home and you get on your phone and you go through Twitter, and you're like, oh, what's everyone saying about the Joker? Let's see what everyone's talking talk about the Joker. But then you go and watch a film, and then afterwards, if you're lucky enough, you meet up with some friends in the lobby, at the bar, wherever, and that's the real conversation on, on a movie. And we get so hung up with what's happening online right now. Yeah. Um, that's not a question. That's not a question. <laughs> I'm disagreeing with you. Here, it's a statement. Here's a question. So how <laughs> involved you, <laughs> with you were you with Andy in selecting which of your films you wanted to show? Uh, well, we, we wanted to have uh, different movies. Uh, we, we, we actually wanted maybe even include some other ones. Uh, but what's happened uh, is the way that films are dis- dis- distributed uh, it, some places won't allow it. Uh, they won't allow movies to be shown. The, uh, he was talking about this weekend that a lot of the digi- Disney and 20th yeah. Century Fox yeah. movies yeah. won't be available to play at retrospective houses, you know, uh, with, for audiences because of that Disney Disney Channel. I don't know, Disney Plus, what's yeah, it called? Yeah, Disney Plus. Uh, and they have a whole different philosophy with, like, the vault, where they want to contain and have control over how their films are being distributed and sold. Uh, I think that's a tremendous loss, honestly. Yes, but I'm looking at it as an opportunity for independent filmmakers or the other studios that if they know that that the Disney and 20th Century Fox films are not going to be uh, available at movie theaters, maybe it's going to create an opportunity for those other studios and and, and platforms to be able to share their films. And we'll be able to discover things that we might not have otherwise discovered. Yeah, there's a, a silver void. lining. Yeah, silver lining and a void to be filled. Um, now you mentioned in a Q and A that you don't tend to revisit your movies often. Uh, so, you know, what is it like when you, suddenly you're put on the spot and you have to talk about Cutthroat Island or uh, Married to the Mob? Um, well. I, I remember them. So that was the first time I've seen Cutthroat Island in probably 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so yeah, it, it's it's weird. I mean, I don't have really a, 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 mm-hmm. a, a, I don't have a good answer. Um, <laughs> it's odd to see yourself age on film, you know. But I mean, we've heard people say this before that I don't feel emotionally or. Uh, I don't feel like it's a different person. It's just uh, emotionally or uh, intellectually inside, but uh, it's weird to see yourself physically uh, transform and change, you know, uh, that there you were and, uh, and here you are. Uh, right. it's, it's, it's quite, quite different. But I'm a Stoic, and, and if you don't know what Stoic is, I encourage you to, to, to research Stoicism. Uh, it's not what, what we imagine. Like I think I said it at the theater the other night. It's not a cow standing out in a field in the rain. That that it, it's not something miserable. That we misinterpret what stoicism means in, in America. 
uh, it, it's stoicism is, uh, I think, in in the simplest definition, uh, understanding the brevity of life and uh, and appreciating and accepting the inevitability of what happens in our life that we all face the same destination of death and the the, the sooner that you accept it and acknowledge it embrace it is when you truly become present and appreciative of the life that you have right now in this moment that there is nothing but this moment and the the past is the past and the in the future is unknowable Um, so knowing that and appreciating that makes you really truly value each breath that you take each beat of your heart and uh, it makes you more conscious of the fact of why it's it's so important to tell people that you love them or you forgive them or uh, it makes it easy to say no it makes it you know where a lot of times in life it's difficult to say no isn't it yeah well in preparing for this weekend and getting to talk to you and then also listening to you at the Q&As, like, I do get this <laughs> philosophy from you. Mm-hmm. You're, you're very conscientious about what you put in your body. You're cognizant of air pollution. You don't smoke on screen anymore. Like, you're vegan. You've quit sugar. And also, you're very picky about your roles. Like, you don't want to play villains. You don't want to be part of like a negative, you don't want to put negativeness out into the world. And I was wondering if those two philosophies are connected, how you don't want to put toxic things in your body and you also don't want to put toxic things in your mind to put toxic things out into the world. Mm-hmm. If we understood how powerful our thoughts are, we'd be careful what we think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and the, the words that we say have the power to, to shape the, those individuals. If we say hateful things... It's not so different than, than the rain and the wind that shapes the, the, the mountains, you know, that carves and uh, erodes them, that, that when our words and our thoughts are used in positive ways, they can empower people, they can, they can heal uh, people. So, um, so <clears throat> because when I say something, it, it travels across my vocal cords and it travels across the space between uh, you and I and, and enters into your ear or the people that are listening right now, the words are traveling into their ears and tickling their eardrums and then uh, being processed in the brain. Uh, so in a way, I've entered you. I, and, and if you say things that are, that are mean and cruel, they, they violate the, the person that you are. Well, and, you change their chemistry. Like yeah. it literally changes your chemistry. Yes, it does. Yeah. I believe that. And so the food that you eat, I mean... If, the reason you have arms and legs is to be able to carry you to, or to to run from things that are pursuing you or to run to things that to nourish you. So you have legs to bring you to it and hands and arms to bring it to your mouth. So I could cut your arms and your legs off and you'd still be a, a living thing so long as somebody put food in your mouth and water for you to drink. So that's an incredibly complex closed system mm-hmm. uh, from your mouth to your anus. And... Uh, it, it, the, the, the bacteria that it, you know we, we share a DNA with, that in, like they say that in one inch of your colon there's more bacteria than there are stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Um, and there's so much antibiotics in the world today, and that includes the glyphosate that's falling from the sky that's in Roundup that uh, may be causing like people to get leaky gut, you know, that mm-hmm. the, the, 
the acids in your stomach leaking from your stomach into your into your abdominal cavity. Um, that these antibiotics don't have a mind, and they kill good and bad bacteria and viruses. So um, you don't want you want to respect that bacteria because it's a it's a part of who you are. It's what you are. That friendly bacteria that helps you to to live and digest food. Have you read Dr. Furman's book, Eat to Live? Uh uh-uh. Oh, he talks a lot about that. He is a doctor who advocates for um, plant-based, you know, whole food diet. Like I, I've gone through a little bit of a nutritional wormhole as of late. I've Dr. Furman's Eat to Live, Jonathan Safran Foer, his books are wonderful. Um, uh, the guy who did the the China study, all of that stuff. Oh yeah, is the really China study. I read that me. one. And you've you've gone I've, vegan. You've you've changed your eating habits. And yeah. You're you're looking to get me to change my eating <laughs> yeah, habits. Slowly, yeah. so yeah. it's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, I, oh, you go. No, ahead. you go. Um, I want to go back to um, how you know entertainment and like what you put out into the world as an artist is an influence. So you you were raised, you know, more or less in, you know, watching films. And then I read somewhere that when you were raising your kids, you avoided television for them. Um, what influenced that, that choice to avoid television versus maybe cinema? Uh, advertising. Oh, the, really? The, when you study advertising, if you look at it, uh, in, a, in, in not a passive way, but if you really look at it, like a, let's take a car commercial. You see the car driving on the beach up in the mountains, uh, racing through the streets of New York City or Los Angeles. It's, it's all fantasy. That You would never race your car through the streets of Los Angeles mm-hmm. because there's too much traffic, number mm-hmm. one. And if you did, it'd be like a car chase and you'd, you'd be arrested right. and, and you know, put in jail for driving so recklessly. If you heard the sound of a truck instead of music and voiceover when you watched those truck commercials and heard the sound of the truck being destroyed, driving through the mud, and uh, you, you would never do that. You wouldn't spend $60,000 on a truck and go treat it like that. So it's fantasy. You oftentimes don't see the people inside the cars because the advertising people, they go to school and they study uh, how to manipulate people's uh, emotional centers so you oftentimes don't see the people inside the car because they're 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 because you're, you're supposed to see yourself inside the car you're seeing yourself inside the car um you see a car a, a commercial with a young girl with a pimple on her face and uh, she feels sad and she feels rejected and her friends don't hang out with her and then they they show you this product to make the pimple go away and then 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 suddenly magically she's more accepted and her friends and she's smiling and her life is transformed by the disappearance of this this uh, pimple that this but if you have to purchase this cream in order to make the pimple disappear it's bullshit and and we 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 live in a world that uh, where the resources of our planet are finite they're not infinite and the the the, the consumerism uh, the, this marketplace that we've created, an economy that is based on consumption and selling, 
is destroying the planet uh, and and destroying us as as as, uh, as living beings that exist on this planet. That we're no bigger or more important than any other species or or plant that's on the planet, uh, and yet we think we control it and we think that we're more important and. Uh, where nature is about to collapse as a result of our of our consumerism and our materialism. And you don't so, but the difference between being between TV and film, you feel like that is less so in in cinema that you're not being sold as much. Um, <clears throat> well, we 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 get sold uh, fantasy. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. we live you know kind of vicariously through the characters that we see. You know, most of us. Uh, are struggling to make ends meet in our lives and and we go to see films and uh, where we see uh, uh, somebody vanquish their enemies you know they they kill their enemies you know they they use like I'm looking at a Liam Neeson poster right now yeah the gray the gray but or or, uh, taken you know where you see a father that goes after these bad people to save their daughter that it's wonderful and and uh, in real life that guy would probably go to jail right I mean for for murdering people for punching people you that doesn't happen really in real life if, if I went if somebody hurt my daughter and I went and beat the guy up I even though he may have hurt my daughter I, I would be probably held on criminal uh, assault and and get in a lot of trouble especially being a celebrity they would make make a field day of it um, so it's a fa- you know mm-hmm. it's it's fantasy it's it's uh, it's illusion. Um, so when you when you realize that as a storyteller that that you have an impact and and on people's lives, there's a responsibility that comes with that, and and uh, th- that's why many times I've I've not wanted to, to work on certain projects because I don't want to uh, be a part of a lie. I don't want to like Top Gun that I turned down. Mm-hmm. It was. It wasn't because I didn't think it was a good movie or that it could be really fun to watch. It was because I had grown up in Utah and, and I hadn't been taught in school that the the Russians were our allies in the Second World War and that millions of them died fighting the Nazis. Why wasn't I taught that in mm-hmm. school? And there I was in at the Berlin Film Festival and they invited me to go into East Berlin. And I was at this monument for a million Russian soldiers who had died there uh, near the Brandenburg Gates. Uh, fighting the Nazis, and, and I thought, why wasn't I taught this in school? And I met these Russian soldiers who could speak English. I couldn't speak any Russian. I gave them American cigarettes, and they gave me pins from their uniforms, and they were no different than my brother who had gone to Vietnam. They were just kids. And so when I came home and Top Gun was waiting for me, I had to make a decision in that moment. Do I want to part, be a part of something that's perpetuating this fantasy that... that uh, the, the, those were my enemies. Right. You know? Right. Just recently, because of this film festival, I had never... They've left you. <laughs> I, I, had, I had never seen Full Metal Jacket. Uh-huh. Um, I have huge gaps in my film knowledge because of the... the I was raised, like, ex, like, excluded out of a lot of culture. There's a lot of movies. I know, and there's a lot of movies. But I, I watched it for the first time. Um, and because I had to miss Friday night because I was working. And um, f- for the first time, I talked to my dad about what it was like to go into boot camp in 1969 because he, he was drafted 
after he had gone through the seminary. He entered the seminary when he was like seventh or eighth grade to become a Catholic priest. Wow. And then he decided not to go that route, um, which is great because I'm here now. But, uh, and, but um, he decided not to go that route, and he went back to work on his father's farm, even though he knew he'd inevitably be drafted. And I was watching, and now I am a cusp millennial. I have all of the, like, uh, lack of motivation of a Gen X, but all of the entitlement of a millennial. And um, so I was watching Full Metal Jacket, and, like, we, like, literally I was 20 minutes into the film, and I was, like, openly crying, and all that had happened so far was just name-calling. <laughs> I was just like, these people are not being nice to each yeah. other. Yeah. And so for the first time, I talked to my dad. and Probably go, like, even more shocking today than it was when it came out. Yeah. Right. Yes, like, yes, for sure. Language like that would be very tough to even get into a film, even to tell an honest story. Mm-hmm. And, and and I could, like, you just see how... And so I brought this up to my dad, and he had never seen Full Metal Jacket. And he, he goes, well, they probably had to clean it up for the movie. And I was like, God, I hope not. Wow. And so, but I would tell him things that would happen to in the movie, yeah. and he would be able to tell me the next thing that would happen. Right. Like... Um, the Foot Locker being left unlocked. Right. And then my dad was like, well, I'm sure they dumped it out. I'm like, yes, they dumped it out. And so I, so even though, like, I guess that's just a long-winded way to go, like, when you're, you're making art, you're stepping into o- opening a narrative. Yeah. And you've taken the route of going like, okay, well, if I'm going to be part of this narrative, I want to be a positive part, or at least a true part. And, and have you seen, have you seen, uh, I'm, I'm sure you have witnessed actors going another direction and wanting to go. Do you think that that affects them as a person, being part of a, being actively part of a false narrative or, or trying to, not necessarily thinking about truth? I, th- I think a lot of people just don't care. They, mm. just, they just want to... You know, but they're in it for different reasons. You, everybody has a different reason that, uh, you know, I, sometimes I think the most actors got dropped on their heads and, uh, you know, ended up in the, you know, like something's wrong with them. There's something broken inside of them that they, to want to enter into this profession. Um, you know, there's, some people just want to be stars. They want to be famous. They want They want to be recognized. They want... You know uh, the material gains that come with uh, notoriety, um, and then there's people that just want to to tell stories. You know, and, but I, I mean I can't speak for every actor and why why they uh, enter into the profession. But you know I I've been blessed to be able to travel around the world and and meet uh, performers from different professions and different styles of of acting from the kabuki to the No Theater in Japan, to uh, Indian performances and Thai, Thai, Thai performances, uh, uh, and then traveling through Italy and Greece and Turkey and seeing the amphitheaters that were built before, you know, before Christ. And <clears throat> they, they, these places were built at tremendous expense, at, you know, for the purposes of hearing people sing songs and tell stories, and through the telling of a lot of those stories, 
they're, they're moral fables that, that, that help us to understand uh, who we are and, and what prejudice looks like, what misunderstanding looks like, what broken heart look, you know, to, to when you hurt somebody, that when you do some heroic deed and, and uh, you know, the, the person who is, you didn't think was going to be a hero suddenly becomes a hero um, through their deeds. Um, that, that wasn't their intention when they set out, but suddenly they are. So all of these kind of stories that, get to, that got told in these amphitheaters, uh, and, and today movie theaters are modern-day amphitheaters, uh, where we have the opportunity to, to learn and to shed light into uh, darkness. My father used to say that the, the room is full of monsters when, you, when it's dark. And it, it takes only turning the light on to make the monsters disappear. So when you think of turning on a motion picture camera and capturing light and then projecting that onto a motion picture screen, that what you captured, you're shining light into a dark space mm. that, that makes the monsters go away. Unless it's a monster movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. We really appreciate it. You're halfway through Full Metal Modine Weekend. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm really excited to close it out with If Dog Rabbit. I yes. haven't seen it. Super, super pumped. I'm, yeah. And also th- three of your short films. And three of your short mm-hmm. films. So. We didn't even get into super that. Super excited about that. Yeah, I'm super excited to see it because I've never seen If Dog Rabbit with an audience. Awesome. Oh, this, this is going to be This so is going to be a blast. Well, it's going to be a good crowd. Yeah. So, Winchester people are the best. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And yeah. let's go watch some more movies. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Matthew Modine. That If Dog Rabbit screening (laughs) was something that was so extraordinary because it was a super independent film and there was a lot of turmoil in the entire process for Matthew Modine as the star and the director and the person producing it, like responsible for getting the money. There was a lot of stuff that he talked about following that film where he asked repeatedly, Nobody's recording this, right? (laughs) And we weren't because we have integrity. That's right. But boy, would you love to get an open and honest conversation with Matthew Modine about If Dog Rabbit because it sounds like that whole production was a nightmare. And a rabbit hole. And Yeah, and a rabbit hole. And like you said, deeply personal to him. And when you watch that movie, it feels like it was... Everything to Matthew Modine. Art is hard. Art is hard. But that's why it has such passionate fans, which brings us to Scott and Ida. Yeah, this couple, wow, relationship goals, right? Mm -hmm. So they came all the way from Dallas, Texas. They sat down with us to talk about what big nerds they are, and they truly are. They are dorks after our own heart. They enter this Alamo Drafthouse sweepstakes on a whim. They get it. They fly all the way to Winchester. They throw themselves into this Full Metal Modine weekend. Uh, They are invited along with... It mod, yay us, to the Firefly Cafe and Bakery, where they then make Matthew Modine renew their vows. Make is such a strong word. I would say invite, graciously invite (laughs) Mr. Modine. What an honor. Matthew Modine was a little trepidatious at first, but he agreed to it. And you can go to our Facebook page, you can go to our Twitter account, and you can watch Matthew Modine renew the vows of Scott and Ida, which I don't think had happened yet at this point. During before the interview. Yeah, they were just warming up to ask the big Q. Yeah, so let's get into this chat, and then we'll get to Sean. And here we are in our favorite movie theater in 
I was going to say America, but the entire world. Yes, the universe. A- universe, yep. galaxy, all the known and unknown. Um, the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia, and we're joined by two very special guests, Scott and Ida, who are the full metal Modine sweepstakes winners. Welcome, yeah. guys. Thank you. Thank you. How's Virginia treating you? Wonderfully. She said last night that, you know, I'm ready to move here. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, we were in, well, even when we were in the theater last night, um, people were introducing themselves to us. We were in the lobby last night, and Gary and Wendy came up and said, hey, so how did you wear what? And they invited us to a couple things this weekend, and I'm like, I love this. <laughs> well, I think that the Alamo Draft House Winchester in particular is very special. Andy does an amazing job of creating this community that is exceedingly warm. It is. We're actually not from Winchester proper. We're from Northern Virginia and uh, we can, there's a change in atmosphere as we enter the Alamo Draft House. Yeah, it takes us about an hour and 20 minutes to get here, but well well worth the drive. Well worth it, yeah. 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 So you guys are from Dallas. Yes. Um, I'm originally from California. I am known as a Valley Girl. Okay, nice. all right. I, I gra- San Diego, Rancho, Rancho Penasquitos. Ooh, yeah. so Van Nuys, California, okay. uh, Grant High School, class of 1980. <laughs> um, so I'm a true Valley Girl. Okay. Uh, I didn't have the money, but I have the status. Of, and of you don't that era. like have the the intonation. You don't. Like, have, I, I can do it. <laughs> if, if you, like I can totally do it if you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like oh my god. <laughs> um, so. Why why enter the sweepstakes for Full Metal Modine weekend? Because it, it was a why last not? minute thing. Well, yes. Yeah, it was a truly a why not thing. I'm signed up for tweets from our Alamo Draft House mm-hmm. in Richardson, and I think it was the final night of it, and I saw a tweet pop up, and like, okay, that would be great. And, you know, I won't. I will never win it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, because we're not here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then, what, two nights later, I was checking my mail, and as she pointed out, usually when people win something, they're just, oh, my God, I won something. And I went, I think I won something. <laughs> and it's because I'm thinking, oh, this is a scam. This is, uh, this is not real. I can't possibly have won this after entering it two days earlier. Um, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad I entered this. this yeah, and a really nice a real quick turnaround. Like you enter oh in gosh, this thing, yeah. and then suddenly you're like, okay, I guess we're getting on a plane. We, yeah. He's like, well, uh, how do we? What? And so I sent an email to my boss. I said, so well, there's this thing. Um, it's an yeah. emergency. Yeah. It's, uh, gosh, you know, I felt like Klinger on Mash. You know. <laughs> <laughs> She does not look like Klinger from that. <laughs> but yes, we, it was a very, very quick turnaround. Yeah, when I entered it, I really wasn't paying attention to the dates. I just mm-hmm. saw it was sometime in November. Surprise! <laughs> yeah. November 1st! November 1st, yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, what was your relationship with Matthew Modine before Full Metal Modine weekend? Oh, we're not allowed to disclose that. Oh. Yeah. 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 No, no, no good, we're not good allowed. Good answer. Uh, Is he on your short list? <laughs> Um, you know, right now, I have to say on my short list, uh, his, okay, your pass is Natalie Dormer. Nice. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure, All right. Fair, now, I have fair. a new pass. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay, my original pass is Cary Grant, but he's, oh. he's passed on. Yeah. And yeah. I actually did get to see him once. Shut he, up. Mm, yeah, I did. I saw him once, yes. Oh. Um, my brother-in-law was working at a hotel where they were having an event. He called and said, 
oh, there's all these stars down here. If you come and sit in the lobby, blah, blah, blah. So we go down there, and sure enough, Cary Grant, salt and pepper, full-on tuxedo. I am swooning. Oh, yeah. Tuxedo? Tuxedo. And he just walked past. And, yeah. And life's that, different that after that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and wait. then I settled. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, but so Cary Grant. Cary Grant was her former pastor. Was, was. Is now, and I apologize if I get the name wrong, because he is a new ad, is Ooh. Sam Hewen from Outlander. Dreaming. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Over oh. the Rock? Oh, yeah, rock. yeah, totally. The rock's the my rock. pass. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. 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 I would have a Yeah, no, no, no. Because he's real. Okay. Mm. He's real. You know, the, the uh, rock mm. is, I mean, that. He is just walking like charisma, this. that man. The yes. Rock. Yes. Yeah. My friend yeah. Tracy went to college with him. That's the oh, truth. Nice. Miami. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. Mm. Natalie Dormer is his pass, who. Yeah. He even has Google Ways uh, as an English uh, accent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so. the, the name of the voice is Natalie, and it's. You know, if you if you twist your mind around just right, you yeah. think it's mine. How many and times have you seen Game of Thrones? <laughs> oh, I look. I love her before that. I love yeah. her. Oh, uh, yeah. What was the uh, the British show? Uh, that doesn't really narrow it down, does it? No. <laughs> no. King Henry VIII. Oh yeah, yeah uh, I don't know. The Crown? Is that the Crown? No, 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 What's no, going no, on? I don't know no, my British shows. Yeah, I'm yeah. Sure this was one, yeah. Showtime. Anyway, no. yeah. So he. I, I oh. Rome. Yeah, no, not, no, 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 that's Rome. Um, no. Oh, my if God. all you're doing is practicing the Just past Google. to forget Just Google it. it. Yeah, 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 I can't yeah. remember. I can't the remember. proper name of our podcast, I don't know if you caught this, was is in the mouth of, of darkness. darkness. So yes. we want to hear, like, so this isn't your first, nor will it be your last, like, film dork right. trip. Like, right. Tell yes. us about some of your former adventures. So, so we... Um, Every year we renew our vows on, around our anniversary date, oh, which so is sweet. August. So um, I don't know how it came about, but we, uh, I think our first, one of our first was the Rolling Road Show yeah. to yeah. Estes Park, Colorado to see The Shining, the Shining. So cool. on the grounds of the Stanley Hotel. Yes. Where Stephen King wrote the book. Unfortunately, we didn't get to stay in room 217. Uh, and we are in this room right now. The shining carpet yeah. is below our feet. Yes, yes it yes. is. So we we did that, and and we dressed up as the sisters. <gasps> wow, Fun. that's right. No, I did not shave for that. Oh, yeah. okay. We did not shave. So okay. we walked. We walked I'm around. I'm an uncanny this, likeness. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, but we, we walked around the shining hotel in little blue dresses oh with our faces a little bit whitish, you know. Like and we had little barrettes in our hair, and we walked in step, holding hands, going up behind people and tapping them <laughs> on the shoulder Hashtag and saying, "Relationship goals, Brian," yeah. and, and, and saying, "In sync, come, come play, play with, with us, Danny." I can't yes. even look at you while you're saying it. It's, it's, it's so it's so cute. So, so we did that, and mm, um, awesome. wait, can I just take a side trip since we're in Estes Park here for just a moment? I have gotten to stay in room 217. Oh, have you? I did. Um, my daughter is a big horror fan, and years ago we happened to be somewhere near Estes Park, so I said, oh, this was when The Haunting came out with Liam Neeson and yeah, yeah, yeah. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Owen Wilson. Bad movie. Oh, yeah, bad movie. But bad I said, movie. why don't we go see that in the shadow of the over Overlook? She said, great. So we went and said, you know what, let's... Uh, Let's actually go into the Overlook and we'll get some souvenirs. And this, we went into their little gift shop. And then afterwards I said, oh, you know what? Let's play a trick on the guy at the counter. I'm going to see if he's got a room for us. <laughs> and we walked up there and 
I said, hi, I believe you have a room for Noak. And she just leapt over the counter at him, saying, no, 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 he's just kidding. He said, uh, yes, room 217. <gasps> she just happened to have been reading that book. That is so We good. get up in there. She didn't want to go into the bathroom because it had the clawfoot tub, just like as described, and then... Oh, that is that is so cool. You guys are living the life that the dream. Lisa and Brad like to live. <laughs> and, uh, and there was an incident in the middle of the night. Oh, oh what, what, was the what was the incident? I couldn't sleep. Uh-huh. What, the, and the, I kept hearing the, this yeah. like ghostly piano music. Then I realized, oh, no, that's from the bar downstairs. Mm-hmm. So eventually, I mean, we're, what, two miles up, I guess. So I was having trouble breathing and sleeping. Oh, yeah, Finally, yeah. I fell asleep. And then I heard this, dad, 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 what, what, what? Someone's knocking at the door. I said, no, it's, it's not anyone knocking at the door. These walls are really thin and you're probably hearing a headboard from some other. She said, no, I hear it's from the door. I said, okay, don't worry about it, go to sleep. And then, and that's one of those moments when you don't want to be the dad because <laughs> you have to check it out. So I get out of bed and it was the longest 12 feet walk, just walking this slowly. And then you really, you have to take a deep breath before you look through the peephole, which is a fisheye peephole. It, mm-hmm. it captures everything. And this room is at the end of a hall and there was no one there. And I said, there was no one there. The thing is, she had fallen asleep. (laughs) Honestly, I went for that. There were two more instances of it knocking, but I would not get out of bed. Really? Yeah. That was... You were being haunted by by a figment. Yes. Of Stephen King's imagination. So... Okay, you've done that. You've done. You said you did another Rolling Road show. Yes, yes, we did another Rolling Road show. I'll let you intro this one. Da da da. What do you remember? Ain't it cool news? Oh yeah. heck yeah! Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Harry Knowles, the guy who found that, uh, was on this Rolling Road show trip where they did uh, Close Encounters mm. at the base of Devil's Tower. That is, I would love to do so that. We had so we had to have the the head geek. Mm-hmm. Remarius there, and I've got to tell you, this setting was beautiful. More importantly, as a show of how much she loves me, well, they were having a contest beforehand. Oh, it was a yeah. mashed potato yes! building contest, and it's like, oh my God, I've been wearing shorts and a t-shirt today. <laughs> the the temperature is dropping. I've got to go change clothes. So I run over to the restroom at this gift shop and. There's a guy ahead of me who's just like, oh my God, how much longer do you need in there? I need to change clothes. And so finally he gets out, I get in there, I change my clothes, I run out, and it's already started. Oh, but? But she was there. Yeah. She had weaseled her way in there. I ran, I fell, I crawled my way to the banquet table, and they had, you know, uh, five or six trays of steaming mother of god mashed potatoes mm. which you could not form you could not touch <laughs> they were we're all burning our hands trying to form They're a tower more of a liquid than yeah, a mash. yeah 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 so he's he's screaming from the sidelines that's my wife <laughs> go honey you got it you got it unfortunately she can't I second did win second yeah. is, oh, is not bad yeah, she no, was I doing could. a great job i was i was so i was I giving really it my all i was giving it all skin and bone 
if I left it behind in the amount yeah, of mashed potatoes. Oh, that was fun. So no, we we plan on having more geekalicious things to do. Uh, well, so well, beautiful. here here you are doing uh, Matthew Modine or Full Metal Modine weekend. Yes. Well, you know, were you Matthew Modine fans beforehand? Like. Well, he, yeah. I mean, he's a he's a full-on geek. He's a full-on dork. I right. Mean, yeah. Plug. Plug oh for the podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dorks, yes. dorks, yes. Dorks unite. So, so. But really, the full metal jacket kind of had me right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, that's one of the ones that we haven't seen. Uh, I haven't or, seen. You've seen. Well, I've seen, but I'm at here at the, yes. the yes. event. Yes. Uh, yeah. But yet. we did go see Married to the Mob last <laughs> night, <laughs> which was... Which was cheesier than I remember, but the performances make it less so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The um, shoulder pads really did it. Oh did, my gosh, did the a style on the shoulder pads. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take out someone's face. <laughs> I, I, I was really surprised by Married to the Mob visually as well. Like it, it, because I had just watched Silence of the Lambs the night before. Uh, it's the same cinematographer. I'm blanking on his name right now. Talk Fujimoto. Thank you. Uh, dork, true dork, right here. Absolutely. And and there's a lot of close-ups in, that are very similar Almost to dizzying Sun- yeah. and married to the mob. Yeah. You're, you're, you're They're talking right back. at camera. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's really strikingly visual. And then the performances. Michelle Pfeiffer is like unbelievable. She's, she, yeah, she's, she's amazing. Did, I mean, she gets the cry on, she get the, the eyes are welling, they're getting red, you know, the little lip is trembling. Mm. Yeah. You really and felt And him for her. saving her in the end That was, end credit item. I had never seen that. Same. Yeah. yeah. I mean, let, let's describe it. So the scene at the, you have to watch the Married to the Mob, like a Marvel movie, you got to stay to the end credits because there is an amazing feat of strength that occurs from Matthew Modine rescuing Michelle Pfeiffer on a slippery pair of steps. Yeah, and it was, obviously it wasn't meant to happen, and, no. and he, as he said himself, he goes, I was luckily strong enough to, to you know, and n- nimble, limber enough to catch her, and I mean, it could have been devastating for her. It's all the bicycling. It's, it oh, was scary yeah. to look at. Yeah, because that could have been a career ender for uh, her. It could have yeah. been a life, life ender. ender. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. yeah. 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 But I it was all we were talking about the the scene, the stunt scene where he's in the bus mm. and you know they he, they were talking about that at the end. But you know, I said to Scott, I said, "Oh my gosh, the way he pummels himself out of the the sky, the emergency exit at the top of the bus. Yeah. I mean, that is huge. You know, he just limbers up there like a spider monkey." He jumps from that onto the U-Haul van and then off and to the effortless. Pivot. Yes. And in moving track it, uh, traffic in one shot. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was lots he of He is a huge advocate of physical fitness, and I want to get into it when we talk when to him. When we talk to him, yeah. Yeah, I, I did a little research on that, too. And, yeah, he said he bikes everywhere in New York. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, he's, he's lean, and, mean. Mm-hmm. And some of the things he had to say after the show, those were amazing. The story about getting into acting, yeah. when and then how that leads up to Stella Adler, yeah. and how I don't want to say it's a punchline, but a line that well, he brings gave, it around. Right. Yeah, he brings it around. That was yeah. an amazing story. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, a true orator. I mean, he's like not just a performer. He has a deep philosophy of what he's doing and, mm-hmm. and how he mm-hmm. wants to communicate it. Um, did you have you guys had you know as the sweepstakes winners have you had some FaceTime with uh, Mr. Modine? Well, I, I, <laughs> I, I we took a couple pictures last night of the slow dance, 
And so I, I, I Instagrammed that as my husband dancing with Matthew Modine. I just put it prom to, oh to 2019. <laughs> prom 2019. So we, we danced. Awesome. We danced yeah, a little bit. So great. Got to say hi. But, you know, he's, he's, he's working and he's mingling and he's, yeah. he's very personable yeah. as well. Yeah, extremely, extremely We're supposed friendly. to have uh, breakfast with him in the morning, which I'm looking forward to. Breakfast or That's dinner. how you can tell he's a true romantic when there's believe, breakfast in the morning. I believe it's oh. breakfast. I yeah. believe it's a Sunday breakfast. Yeah. Uh, which in Winchester's a challenge. Just, uh, but they've, they've got someplace secured. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They don't get up early on Sunday mornings in Winchester. Um, all right, so we have to wrap things up a little bit. Um, but Scott, Ida, thank you so much thank you. for thank sharing you. your stories and giving us inspiration to uh, you know, renew our, them vows. We do need to renew year. those vows. Close and encounters. They tower. do couples cosplay. I'm always trying to get him to do couples cosplay. Okay. He never wants to do it. Can, can I just say, you know, I'm I'm kind of his roadie. He used to do a lot of costumes, yeah. and if you. Google steampunk Buzz Lightyear. I've seen it. Told me. It is your yeah, reputation precedes you. <laughs> yeah, it's stunning. He he does really great costume work, and so I'm usually his handler oh, with that nice. because you know it's it's a very dimensional process. So. Yeah, yeah, he's he's. Thank He's you. a stunning costume. Thank See, you. Brad, all the cool kids are I, doing it. I, I couple co- uh, hi, uh, costumed with you at Halloween, Lisa. We did a ghost story. I was the pie. He was the ghost. Yeah, uh, it, it worked well. It worked it well. It did. It did. Nice. We were adorable. Well, thank, thank you so much for joining you. us on the podcast. Thank you. thank you for asking us. And congratulations again on winning the sweepstakes. So cool. We're happy to be here. We it's love been, it. Yes. Thank you, Scott and Ida. What a lovely chat. But guys, you're not done with this episode yet. We're going back to the projection booth and we're going to talk with Sean Decker about And the Band Played On. Amazing. Such an epic screening. All right. We just got out of And the Band Played On, um, an incredibly powerful screening. Like, it's even talking about it. I find, I find it harder to talk about it. And it was 15 minutes ago when we got done with the Q&A, which was probably 25 minutes of the Q&A. And we have a very special guest joining us, um, Mr. Sean Decker, who I became aware of thanks to our mutual uh, love of the Monster Squad. And I didn't realize it at the time, but Sean and I saw the Monster Squad 30th anniversary screening here at the Alamo Drafthouse in Winchester, Virginia, and then found his way into the documentary Wolfman's Got Nards, which played uh, on the It Mod Chatcast, our conversation with Andre Gower and Henry McComas a couple weeks ago. Uh, Sean. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm here to talk about why it's not ludicrous that the Monster Squad and, and the band played on could be a drive-in double feature. <laughs> Hell yes. I'm yes. The, I'm the glue. <laughs> um, so, yeah, okay. Well, let's let's start with that. Um, yeah. what, what bring? Why are we talking to you? You're talking to me because... Uh, I came here to see a couple movies that meant a lot to me, and um, the reasons being um, Monster Squad screened here a couple years ago, and it was the 30th anniversary of it, and Monster Squad is a movie that means a lot to me because the kids in it were the same age I was when it came out, and um, a lot of things had changed in my life. I'd been diagnosed with HIV a few months before that movie hit my small town in Waynesboro, and, you know, it was one of those nights where it was like, okay, you know, I'm able to go see a movie with friends. There was something that hadn't been happening all summer. You know, it just seemed like the school year was about to start. I'd been kicked out of school the last two weeks of the school year before summer. And so, like, to me, it was almost like a little bit of a reset was starting to happen. And I, I just was able to be a normal kid again after a summer of, like, 
you know, trying to figure out what I, what this was going to be like with HIV. What was my life going to be like? How long was I going to be around? I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine what that must have been like for you um, at all. Uh, yeah, it was tough. I mean, everybody, you know, I've been an educator for a while. Everybody, everybody gets dealt blows in life. And I just say, like, mine, my medical resume, you know, I was born with hemophilia. So when HIV hit, at least I had some kind of psychological uh, training as to how to deal with the medical condition on that level. For me, when HIV hit, it was so different from hemophilia because hemophilia is like this physical thing. I have a nosebleed. Oh, I got to go treat that, make that stop. HIV, it's like I test positive. My friend's parents won't let me spend the night anymore. Um, they pass out a flyer the first day when I get back in school saying somebody at school has this, has AIDS. You know, and they discuss the link between hemophilia and HIV. And right. hemophilia is a rare condition. So I'm like, how do I deal with that? That's, that's a little more complicated than a nosebleed. And so I was trying to forget about HIV, and movies really helped. Um, you know, movies were a big part of my childhood. My dad would always take me and my brother to see movies and maybe give mom a little break from the guys, you know, at the house. And um, so, yeah, I just I always gravitated um, towards movies. And in the band, uh, the band played on, we see that kids with hemophilia and other people with hemophilia were amongst the victims of the red tape that was created uh, during the Reagan administration because of it being considered to be like a gay disease or whatever. And the idea of, oh, the the tremendous expense of going through the all of the donated blood for transfusions and going, this is potentially contaminated blood. So when you saw and the band played on for the first time. How did how did that make you feel? Uh, I just graduated high school. My mom was way into any AIDS movie that came out. I wasn't talking about, you know, I didn't talk about HIV. I kept it very quiet until I was 20. Mm-hmm. So from 11 to 20, I just, I would hate seeing the People magazine with, you know, the HIV AIDS cover story, I would, you know. But when and the band played on, it was like on HBO, and it was like, I remember checking it out, and I remember like, I kind of hid from any HIV-related stuff because it's like the characters of HIV always died. Right. But at that point, it was a little bit of a turning point. I was starting to actually watch things the next year, the real world, um, mm. San Francisco. Yeah. And Pedro Zamora was on it, and I was, like, finding myself, like, if I was watching with friends and Pedro came on, I'd go to the fridge and get a soda. Right. But then I'd watch the rerun at home by uh-huh. myself. And yeah. I'd take notice, like, I'm not going to miss that scene. But mm. it was really hard to watch with other people. And, and the band played on when I first watched it. I remember being, like, scared. But also, like, I think I'd had some time under my belt where I could actually sit down and watch the whole thing. And I remember being, like... I remember being really thankful that these actors um, were in it. Like, when Steve Martin appears. Right. He cares about me. You know? On this level, I was kind of like... These huge stars, Richard Gere, like, oh, my God, he's in this? You know? Like... So I remember being really affected by that, by like, man, everybody's in this thing. And, and on a level, I understood, like, they're in it because they care about the calls and they care about the message being out. And it wasn't a message that I wasn't, com- I was comfortable just yet kind of sharing myself. So all those things sort of, things nudge you mm-hmm. in a direction, you know, and you don't realize until you're already there, like, those tiny little steps behind you. It seems like it, it seemed like to me at 20 overnight, I, I wanted to talk about HIV and I was uh-huh. ready and I was sick of just, you know, kind of wondering who knew and who didn't. 
mm-hmm. and now I realize it wasn't. It was like thousands of little steps. It was support. It was having a safe home. It was having the luxury of a middle class upbringing. You know, all the things that you, you take for granted when you're little. I've now watched you do um, two Q and A's. One you came out after Wolfman's Got Nards, and and now just after and the band played on and. I find you to be truly inspirational and you're able to, you know, your activism, like you're out there in the community. And I think there's, there's so much, we, we, we tend not to talk about it anymore because we kind of go like, well, you know, everyone's fine. We've got the medicine, it's, everything's good. Uh, but here you are still putting the message out there. And saying that the stigma still exists. And the, and the oh, stigma yeah. still exists. Yes, the stigma still exists. But, you know, you're watching the real world your gears are churning. What mm-hmm. brought you finally to go, I'm going to pursue this activism? It was, you know, it was like two years after I graduated high school. And um, my senior year, I became friends with, like, the sophomores who were going to be, like, juniors after I graduated. So my, my best friend had, like, two years of high school left. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty much, like, sleeping on his couch. Like, it's kind of <laughs> like, okay, cool. Like, I'll deal with the future when it comes. I sort of ruled out college because I let my grades slip, and I just kind of was like, the thought of four years somewhere else, and I didn't know what I wanted to study, I didn't want to waste my parents' money, um, just all these things, but it was like, after that two years after high school was up, and I was 20, I was like, man, like, my friends are gone, like, you know, I'm bowling in league with my dad, we were bonding, we had a pool table, <laughs> like, we kind of reunited after, you know, the, the teenage years with the dad, kind of like, you know, neither uh-huh. neither of you are cool in each other's eyes, I wasn't that kid he took to the movies, you know, through the mm-hmm. first 10 years. So we reconnected, and there were things happening that I think um, were meaningful and needed to happen. Um, but I remember all these things. Like, I remember like my brother coming home from college, and we were going to watch this boxing match in like the basement with all the game stuff. And me and my dad, my brother, my brother are watching, and, and the announcers say like the fight's not happening. One of the boxers had a blood test come back, and he'll probably never he'll never be able to box again. We all knew it was HIV. They, the announcers didn't say it. We knew it. None of us said anything. So we're all there kind of seething in our skin because it's like somebody wants to say what it is. They don't want to offend me. I'm kind of like I've never said HIV or AIDS really at that point. And so, yeah, there was a real-world reunion special, and Pedro wasn't there because he had passed. Mm-hmm. And uh, Judd Winnick um, just got choked up, and he just said, something um, Matthew Medine brought up, like God's love we deliver, like uh, Judd said, there are people out there who need meals, there are people, people with HIV need, need you. He just said, like, just do something. Like, there's, there are organizations out there, just, just do something. And I remember thinking, like, something clicked where it's like, there's something I can do, but I wasn't quite there yet. But I remember, like, after a few months of feeling, like, kind of depressed, and I'd never really been, like, depressed for that long of a time I'd always been a little happy-go-lucky like of course I had these moments of like low level but this was like kind of serious and I couldn't shake it and then when I thought about like talking about HIV and putting up a website just putting it out there and not knowing what was going to happen after that I was like I felt fine yeah like well I mean it's um whenever there is like an oppressed population um like 
it, it always seems to fall on the shoulders of the people. Like, you have HIV. Um, yeah, it, on it falls you. on your shoulders to advocate for yourself, and it breaks my heart. But at the same time, it is such a, like, a tremendously brave thing to do. And something that you, like, you were raised from the time you were... 11 years old to not talk about you had been trained to not talk about it so I think mm-hmm. what you did what you do is extraordinarily brave oh thanks I had a question for you too you mentioned the boxing match that you watched with your family yeah. so I'm not sure if you were in the sports but talking about the actors in the movie felt like you know um, it was they were starting to work towards this cause when something like with Magic Johnson happened in 91 because that seemed like to be a really huge because I'm a oh, huge yeah. basketball fan so when that came out around 91, I was in middle school. How did that impact you when that kind of hit when he announced his HIV? I mean, they were just, I was in high school. Um, what grade was I in? I was in, I was juniors. Juniors, yeah. So they were just starting this thing, like you'd been watching Channel One, and it was like in Homeroom, you would watch this little news program. And I remember it in Homeroom, that Channel One, um, Magic Johnson announced yeah. that he had HIV, and I just remember, like, you know, I just remember that sort of the, the, the mood of people, like, in school was kind of like, whoa, like, there was this heaviness. And then there was, like, a few days later, there was, like, the first Magic Johnson AIDS joke that I heard, and mm-hmm. I was like, but people were just trying to process yeah. the information, yeah. like... But I was like, oh, geez, they went to that real quick, you know? I was like, I'm not talking about this ever, you know? Oh, if they're going to have a joke about him, now I, I'm older and I understand. Like, I actually use humor to educate people. Like, not that's sort of vicious and mean-spirited. It's always, like, self-deprecating at my own expense. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I just remember that. I remember being like, wow, like, that's, uh, you know, yeah. I was, like, worried for him. And then I was, like, worried for myself, too. I was like, oh, man, I'm at school trying to forget this, and people aren't talking about as much, and I'm not sort of, you know, thinking Mm. too many people are thinking about me having HIV. And so when he's making his announcement, I'm like, I felt kind of like there was a little bit of spotlight on me. Like, I knew that that people would be like, oh, didn't you hear a few years ago? Like, How's your HIV going? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I had a friend ask me, like, uh, remember he was, like, I hadn't had my license. I was 15, he was 16, so he always drove us all around. I remember he was driving me home one time, and he was like, hey, do you have hemophilia? Mm-hmm. And the way he asked, and it was like a, it was a lead-in. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I don't have hemophilia. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, see, like somebody was saying you had HIV because you had hemophilia, and I was telling him, I'm friends with Sean. He doesn't have hemophilia. He's never talked about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Thanks for the ride home. (laughs) (laughs) Never came up again. You know, but I was just so scared of being treated differently. I I wasn't worried that friends would uh, ditch me at that point. I was worried that I would have to talk about it. I'd be in homeroom, and Channel One would come on whenever somebody got curious about it, and was like, "Well, Sean has it. Let's ask him about that." The last thing I wanted to do was like think about it because there weren't any treatments. Sure. My attitude then was like, "I'll deal with when I get sick. I just want to." enjoy my life you know you talked about it a little bit uh, a little earlier and you uh, talked about it and Matthew Medellin talked about it in the, the Q&A but you watch something like And the Band played on and you see Steve Martin and then Richard Gere and, and for me um, only child uh, raised by television and movies mm-hmm. and all my emotional growth happened because of what I was seeing in film and, and empathy and relating to that and like 
so I, I mean I know this answer already because you but why is it important to not just do documentaries but to do narratives around these stories why is something like and the band played on so damn important um because it's you know all the fiction that matters is based on reality and and the band played on is like this is taking a time capsule of this period in our history with this epidemic and really showing like the the negative aspects of our humanity that ultimately we shoot ourselves in the foot we create stigma it's like you're watching and the band played on it's like okay it, it's it's very obvious this is something that's affecting the gay community and then for reasons outside of uh, mortality there's a little pushback there people don't want to be thrown in the closet again mm-hmm. and I, I really like watching that it's like you, you kind of are like yeah in the movie it's talking yeah. about coming from a small town probably like parents that weren't supportive you escape you get around people that you can talk to and interact with and then people are telling you like hey that's you know, you need to do things differently. Right. Um, so you're watching the movie, and that's happening. And then it's kind of like, well, it's going to happen. It's going to it's gonna spread to communities outside the gay community. And then you start seeing the thing about hemophilia. And then it's like, it's almost like the, the, the music starts, and Darth Vader starts walking in. It's like, here's the blood industry. Oh, you thought babies with HIV was going to change how we address this <laughs> epidemic? You think rich white people getting sick was going to change it? Yeah. And then it comes down to money, and it comes down to all these other elements that go beyond, you know, the public health. Yeah. The line in it that got me this time is, like, the guy saying, hey, when doctors start, ask, start acting like business people, who are the people supposed to turn to? And so that movie, to me, is, like, if there are ten people in a room and one person is the only person fighting to do something right... It, it's going to have a trickle effect if it's the right thing. But imagine if in that first scene, nine out of ten people are like, no, we're doing this. Right. And then, you know, you just wonder, like, you know, to me, and, and the, the band play on is a horror movie. Yes. Well, and the, 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 the institution that perpetuated the death of hundreds of thousands of people still exists and has not changed. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. So on that note, you know, Tell us, like, where can we go? Where can we go to, to, to further your activism, to help you out, to help all of us out? Um, I would just say get informed. Um, you know, my partner Gwen and I, we've been educating together as a, as a serial discordant couple. She's negative, I'm positive. We've, we've talked for a long time about safe sex. We've educated about, you know, all the different changes in the last 20 years. Um, we work for uh, Paws Magazine, POZ.com is a place you can just go. It's just like get informed and then talk with friends. And, you know, there's the body.com. There's all kinds of resources. And then if you just get kind of tapped into that, um, Matthew Modine talked about God's love we deliver in New York City. How it started is like it was specifically around people with HIV who were homebound and delivering meals. And, he's, and he explained that like once that became less of a problem, there's still people that, you know, don't respond to the medication, don't have access, or they've fallen through some kind of, you know, loophole about being able to get medication on time. It still happens, but it's about redirecting, okay, they've created this great thing. It's like, there are people who are elderly, who don't have family to bring them food, and they just redirect that. So 
there are ways to help out, but it really has to start with like getting informed and just sort of, you know, catching up with what's going on like in the HIV community. I mean, now I'm here because I had access to medication. I take one pill a day. My viral load's been undetectable. Um, you know, I I got that um, in you know under control, but worldwide, not everybody has access right. to medication. Um, also, can I jump in? Yes. Uh, politically, knowing what's happening in your community, and in terms of HIV specifically, like there are states that criminalize people that have HIV, so if, and I think Virginia is one of them, if Sean, I was going to say, if Sean was to have sex with me, which that does happen, um, <laughs> sorry, uh, if he hadn't have told me, he could be, uh, could be a, a felony for, for that, so laws in your community, laws in your state, knowing what bills are happening in your community, in your state, and nationally, I think that's a big thing that was happening around the time of when And the Band played on, was a uh, showing that time period, and right after that was when ACT UP was formed, and they really kind of pushed that stuff, but today there's still a lot of things around that. Facebook just took down ads for prep, um, oh, you know, so yeah. I mean, that's a little bit of a side note, but uh, yeah. so knowing what's happening politically and legislatively, I think it's really important too. Get informed. Get yeah. informed yes. and talk about it with your community. Yeah, education. And Sean, you're on mm-hmm. Twitter. I know you're on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Can our listeners find you there? Can you look? Yeah. What's your handle? At Sean Decker, S-H-A-W-N-D-E-C-K-E-R. All right. And, and Gwen, 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 Gwen is more of an Instagram person, right? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on the things. I don't do the things. <laughs> well, Sean well, we and are, Gwen on right. Facebook. On Facebook, we Facebook we're Sean page. and Gwen, and our website is SeanandGwen.com. Yeah. All right. Gwen with two N's. Yeah. Gwen with two N's. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. We really do appreciate it. Yeah. And, you know, we are inspired by what you guys are doing, so thank you. Oh, thanks thank so much. Guys. All right. And there you have it. Full Metal Modine weekend is finally over. Surprise! Brian is on this episode. Yeah! And Gwen! And Gwen! Thank you to Brian and Gwen. She initially declined the microphone, but then, as many wives do, they say, uh, (laughs) my husband is completely inaccurate and all he's saying is wrong and not helpful. And then the wife gets on the podcast and makes everything better. Yeah, she totally did. She totally did. I loved that little conversation. And any excuse to talk to Sean is awesome. I'm really sad that this episode is coming to a close. Full Metal Modi weekend really was something truly special. But don't worry, next week we are bringing you another epic conversation. It's episode 50 of the ItMod Chatcast, and we're talking to legendary critic Leonard Malton and his daughter Jessie Malton. They came to Winchester to continue the 10-year anniversary celebration of the Alamo Drafthouse, and it's an awesome conversation. It was another great two days of celebratory cinema. So don't set your ItMod Chatcast channel uh, subscription ablaze just yet. <laughs> Hallelujah. See you next week. And on that note, Lisa, where can our listeners find you online? You can find me at SidewalkStyron on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. One of my resolutions is to actually log my films, which I'm already one film behind. Because we watched Key Largo last night, Lisa, and it's not on Letterboxd yet. I haven't, I haven't sussed out my feelings. <laughs> Be sure to send some love Brian's way. This is his second appearance on the ItMod Chatcast channel. Beloved. Let him know how much you love him in these conversations at the Turtle Dork on Twitter and Instagram. 
Follow Darren Smith at the Disco Dork. Follow Billy Das at WB Das. And follow me on all social medias at Mouth Dork. And until next time, guys, take care. Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams? How long have you guys been married? Oh, this is probably good content. This is all good content. Sorry. This is all good Sorry. content. Don't ruin content, Lisa. Right. Well. <laughs> um. A couple that podcast together. Um, it's rocky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Okay. Here we go. Three, two, one.